inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Okay, I can hear you now. You can hear me now? Just now, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Barely. You're a little quiet, but I can hear you. Does that mean my mic's on? Does that mean I'm... I don't think your mic's even on yet, so you're probably just coming through my mic. Okay. Yeah, Brian, you're coming through perfect. Okay. Oh, Carrie, yeah, I heard you now. Okay. Hello. Okay. Oh, okay. I think... Hi. I think we got it. I think we got something now. Yeah, here we go then. Uh, which channel is the phone on? I'm not even sure. Does she even know? If we need to turn them up. Oh, this one here? Confusing. Oh, this one. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right, I think... Yep. Are we live? Yes, we are. We're live right now. Okay, welcome to Outlook. Everybody, on this family day, you are listening to Outlook on uh, 94.9 CHRW Radio Western. And the school's pretty dead right now, but we're here with uh, Brian back in studio. Yeah, um, after being gone, actually out west, uh, coincidentally. Yeah. Um, uh, now for we a have few weeks, I'm back. First interview of first interview of 2020. 2020. And uh, welcome to the show, uh, Ben Fulton. I think that's how you pronounce your last name. Yes. Hi. Yes. Thank you. Yes, Fulton. F U L T O N. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, but thanks for coming today. Yeah, sorry, some technical difficulties. We're, we've never actually, we've only done one ever one phone inter- interview before, so we're still trying okay. to set up the board here, but uh, finally got it all sorted out, so. So, yeah, so started. we wanted to have a guest today to talk about um, an issue that's been, well, it's, it's in the news quite a bit, uh, about guide dogs, and Brian and I have been out of that world for so long now, um, me being the older sibling, I got mine first, and then Brian got his three years Two or three years later. Three years. Three years. Um, but, uh, yeah, once you're out of that and you're back to using a cane, you sort of drift away from that world. So we wanted to talk to somebody who's right there in it. So um, good morning, Ben. Yeah, good morning. Um, yeah, I, I was a cane user for a long time. Uh, just started using a dog about uh, three years ago now. And um, I, I really enjoyed the switch. Um I'd be interested in hearing a little bit about why maybe you um, went back to the cane. Is this your first guide dog then? Uh, yes, yes, and she's working out great. And where did you where did you go to get her? Um, she's from Canadian Guide Dogs. They're a school in Ottawa. Um, oh. They're independent. They do like all their own funding. Um, you know, sometimes they get a little mistaken for the. Um, CNIB's guide dog school, but they're, they're not in any way affiliated. They uh, they do their own program, and uh, the dogs are are very top quality. And how how long have they been around in Ottawa? Do you happen to know? Um, I was just oh, a uh, few decades. I think they started in the eighties sometime. Yeah, I think I had a, I had a guy in my class in um, Quebec who got went to Ottawa to get one. Uh, yeah, because we both we both got our dogs in Quebec at at Mira there, the school. Yeah, um, yeah, which is also a great a great school. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, but uh, the one thing I guess uh, that we're we're kind of here to talk about is the way that um, like store owners and businesses uh, treat people with guide dogs. Exactly. Um, which is something I I wasn't really aware of before having a guide dog myself. Um, but you know, I um, shortly after getting my dog, started hearing about other people experiencing this kind of treatment, and um, haven't experienced a lot of it myself. But um, on a recent trip to BC, I was kind of surprised to have uh, a store owner try to um, refuse me service. And, and so that was kind of uh, a bit of a, a shock to me. Um, I mean, I, I have been in restaurants before where they, um, you know, say that they, they don't want dogs in the restaurant. But, you know, I usually just explain to them quickly that she's a guide dog and you know, by law that she's allowed in the restaurant. And when you see, you know, how well she is behaved, um, you know, you realize very quickly that there's not going to be any problems with letting her in any place of business. And really that's, that's why the law is there is to make it so that people who are using guide dogs like myself are allowed to enter these businesses without, you know, um, anybody refusing us the service. And then there really is no reason to because of, you know, the level of training the dogs receive and, you know, there is a standard of behavior and, you know, the dog is, like I said, I find her just an excellent companion, a, a wonderful guide, a, a fabulous help. And, um, yeah, I couldn't imagine, you know, um, not being let in anywhere without her. And, uh, and I'm, you know, just kind of, amazed to sort of find out, you know, the number of stories out there from other people who have had, you know, similar experiences of being, you know, refused service or denied entry uh, because they, they were traveling with a guide dog. And, um, and yeah, so I um, basically, if, if you want, I could continue with the, the story of sort of what happened to me in BC um, one fateful Sunday evening. As a, as a, on a way to see my mom who um, lives in Kamloops. Uh, yeah, so well, that's kind of how that's kind of how we um, connected in the first place. Was mm-hmm. we're we're on the Canadian Federation of the Blind uh, email list and saw an email from that you put on the list back in July of last year, right after this incident had happened, and that's how we um, were following following your your situation, and then thought it would be a great interview for on the air. Um, and I just wanted to quickly touch on when Carrie and I had guide dogs. It was. Uh, it was like what fifteen plus years ago, um, and we did have a couple incidents um, in restaurants. And this actually happened once in Woodstock, Ontario, um, where we were with our with our grandmother. And um, all we wanted to do was have a nice lunch with our grandmother. Yeah, on, on at a nice yeah. Chinese place in Woodstock, there restaurant. And we went in, and they and they pretty much said the dogs aren't welcome. And we were both young; we were teenagers with our with our grandmother. We we're kind of it was kind of awkward, so we just. We let them lead us back all the way through the restaurant. They we'd gotten all the way through to the far side, and then they're like, "Well, with this buffet, no guide dogs." And yeah, we just didn't fight it. And uh, yeah, and that you know, it's something may look on back on and say, "Oh, maybe we should have." But at the same point, it's it's not. It's sometimes it's hard to always be fighting advocacy and this stuff, and especially when you're younger and you're not as confident. Um, but obviously, you took a different approach, and that's that's uh, very like I think that's super important that you did. So yeah, if you want to continue, I guess with what happened with you and what what approach you took. Um, when you were refused. Okay, yeah, great. And yeah, sort of just touch on for, for the um, 
benefit of your your listeners and everything to talk a little bit about myself and advocacy and my my role in advocacy and sort of how um, you know everything unfolded is basically um, so I myself I uh, just recently you know graduated law school and finished my articles and uh, you know coincidentally enough that um, trip out west to uh, visit my mom and other family members um, was kind of like a celebration of the completion of my legal education. Oh. And uh, being blind myself, I've, you know, done a lot of work in, like, human rights. And um, But it's no small you know, feat to get, through, to get through law school, right, for anybody? Well, no, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a time of great celebration for celebrate. many, you know, students. You know, it, it's customary to take, like, two weeks, or I, I've known a number of people who take a month long, you know, time away from all the books and everything to just, you know, yeah, when my, celebrate that accomplishment. When my friend graduated medical school, her and the the group of students' friends, they went to Hawaii. So, yeah, it's a time you want to celebrate. So, Yeah, yeah, and that was my celebration, was a road trip out west to visit family. And, you know, I took about two weeks and, you know, just spent most of my time, you know, tra- like, my dad lives in Alberta, my mom lives in D.C., I've got, you know, friends and family in kind of both of those provinces. So, you know, on the whole, it was a pretty fun time, and um, I try not to let the one incident yeah. impact my really. whole uh, trip. And uh, so I sort of waited until I got back to really pursue uh, a lot of what happened. But, yeah, in my role of advocacy, and, you know, I'd been, you know, reading about, you know, people who had been denied, like, taxi service and um, had, you know, taken their complaints to human rights tribunals, um, some with some success, some with less success, but nonetheless, you know, these people who were engaged in this kind of advocacy just on behalf of themselves. And, um, you know, I wanted to make sure I was, you know, being a part of that, uh, you know, fight for these rights of, you know, not just myself, but others working with guide dogs and people in, you know, positions that they they don't know their rights, they don't know the laws, you know, or they're younger, easily intimidated, like you guys didn't want to put up a fight at the restaurant. And like, like I said, I've been in restaurants and a lot of times, you know, all I have to do is explain the situation. And sometimes, especially when I'm with a friend of mine who's also a human rights lawyer, he's pretty quick to, to throw in the lawyer card. And, and that usually kind of changes their attitude a lot. Right. Um, yeah. But, uh, but in this particular Sunday, um, the, the employee, he, he didn't want to listen to the fact that it was a guide dog. And he just insisted that no dogs were allowed at all. And that was just the policy. And, you know, he wouldn't serve us. Like, we were at the counter. We were making our coffees. And that's when he started talking to us about the dog, right? And so I got my guide dog identity card out of my wallet to show him and um you know he basically he just didn't want to look at the card he um just kind of uh retreated to this area that's like like behind glass and basically just said you know basically if we didn't leave that we he'd be calling the cops right right and i'm like well okay i i know my laws under the you know the PC Human Rights Code, uh, I'm, I'm allowed to be here with my dog, right? They can't lawfully refuse me service. Right. So I figured, you know, I'll just wait until the police show up 
and, you know, we'll get to the bottom of this. Right. Um, now, I can talk a little bit about, you know, how the RCMP are trained, and they're kind of, um, they're sort of responding always to the, the person who makes the call, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, this is something that the officer said to me um, sort of at the end of the incident when they were sort of releasing me, is they explained, well, they, they get there and they only have half of the story, and so they have to, you know, go on that half of the story. And um, as I was explaining to them uh, at the end of this all, that, you know, it was unfortunate that they uh, didn't hear my half of the story before they arrested me. <laughs> because, uh, unfortunately, what happened when the, the police showed up is they, they were operating under the call that was made by the employee, and uh, even though the, the call mentioned a dog uh, as part of the call, and uh, I'm still trying to get the, the 911 um, footage on that, but this is something that has come to me through um, discussions I've had, um, that, um, like, um, they, they, they said they didn't see the dog. They said they didn't see the dog, um, I mean, that, that's what their spokesperson said in, in like, a press release, um, that they didn't notice the dog at first. So I think that's kind of a little, you know, unusual that, you know, trained officers would arrive at the scene and not not notice that I had a dog, like, right beside me. Um, and um, Hedging their bet to say that. Yeah. I, 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 I disagree with a lot of the things the spokesperson has said about the incident, um, mm-hmm. including the fact that the spokesperson said that... Um, I was released as soon as they realized I was blind. Mm. Um, but the, the fact is they actually did arrest me. They, they put me in a cruiser and detained me for 20 minutes uh, before they said that uh, I, I could leave. So I, I was detained for 20 minutes, and I, I am convinced that they knew I was blind the entire time I was in the back of the cruiser. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so, yeah, to kind of go back to the point where the, the police entered the store, I, I was at the counter, you know, we had our coffees, we were ready to pay for them, and the, the police showed up, and um, there, were, there were two officers, a male and a female officer, and the, the female officer was the first to speak, and she asked me uh, a question. She said, why don't we go outside and talk about this? And I answered her question, uh, and I said, well, I don't want to go outside because I'm standing here at the counter trying to get service. And she basically she repeated her question word for word. She didn't change the word. She said, why don't we go outside and talk about this? And I said, well, I just told you the reason why I don't want to go outside is because I'm standing here at the counter trying to get service. Now, at this point, the employee, like I said, he was, you know, separated behind a glass partition. And, you know, I felt like, you know, there was a perfectly reasonable chance to speak with the officers right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, after I basically answered the question that I was asked the second time, the male officer placed his hand on my wrist and said, I'm arresting you for mischief. And that was the part of the situation I found was the, the most shocking to me was that the, the cops were not, you know, enforcing the, you know, BC Human Rights Code, the, the laws I understood it, um, 
and you know my understanding was fairly well informed by you know a recently attained legal education um so i had my wallet in my hand and i just said to the officer okay let me just put away my wallet because the reason i had my wallet out is not only to try to pay for the coffees but also because i'd taken it out to get my uh guide dog id card which i also had in my hand and when i attempted to put the wallet back in my pocket the the officer just put the handcuffs on my wrist hard enough that it caused fairly extensive bruises and and scrapes um to the skin Mm -hmm. and so you know i had a friend of mine with the camera take some pictures and um yeah basically uh it was a very you know unfortunate event it was very you know startling to be placed in the back of a cruiser and detained for 20 minutes um you know to to not have the the police listen to my side of the story before placing me under arrest um you know there's conflicting you know stories i'm getting from the police themselves like the um officer you know when i asked him as he was releasing me they they decided to release us without you know placing any charges but um you know as as they were doing so uh, you know i i asked him if he was you know aware of de-escalation techniques and he told me that you know his adrenaline was really high, you know, he didn't feel it was the time or the place for de-escalation, he felt he had to respond quickly, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, that's just a, a unfortunate characterization of the situation. And then, like I said about, you know, conflicting reports, when I talked to the supervising sergeant, you know, he informs me that, you know, you know, taking me out of the store quickly, you know, un- under arrest, was, you know, uh, the appropriate de-escalation tactic mm-hmm. to, to separate me from the, uh, from, the, uh, from the clerk. But like I said, the clerk was, you know, several feet away and behind a glass partition. He was already, like, separated. And, you know, I wasn't making any aggressive gestures. I was just, you know, standing at the, the counter at the time the police came in. You know, I had my guide dog ID card. They refused to look at um you know, and so basically, like I said, I, I tried to, you know, enjoy the rest of my vacation and not let that one unfortunate event spoil what was otherwise a, a celebratory road trip. And then when I got back, I had a bit more legal work to do because I uh, fairly promptly uh, filed a complaint with the BC Human Rights Tribunal reporting the incident. And uh, so this is where we can, you know, get into talking about, uh, you know, the legislation and how that works to, you know, sort of protect people's rights and help people enforce the, their rights when when their rights are violated. Yeah, I mean, I guess, do um, you want to go, Brian? Oh, no, go ahead. Um, I guess, you know, like I said, it's hard for Brian and I, <clears throat> why we wanted to talk to Ben today was because um, we wanted to hear about this. Uh, and, you know, I I've never been... placed under arrest with handcuffs and all that stuff so these things are they become very um fraught and they're it's a he said he said she said thing instead of like you said if we can do any work now so that these sort of um store you know owners and people aren't calling the police in the first place for a situation that doesn't need it yeah it's wasting it's wasting time for the police that should be dealing with things that are are actually a problem, whereas this yeah. is a le- is legal and um, and it's something that needs to be made more aware of. And I think the one of the important parts about this that is a good thing is that 
a lot of people, this would happen, and they get they get um, let go from the cops. They're not arrested, and they won't pursue it any further. Um, and in this situation, it kind of worked differently because, especially you um, going to law school and everything, you also had a bit more knowledge on this stuff than maybe some people would, which also helps because it it allows these things to be investigated. Because if it's 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 hard sometimes to keep up with everything, and a lot of times people do just do just say, "Oh, that was a." bad situation but I'm just going to move on and try and forget about it but if, if nobody ever does anything about this stuff it's not not going to change so um, I think it I think it is great that you are you have um, you made more steps into into look into this and investigate this and um, but it really is confusing for for a lot of people and we all need to take you know this this these course in what to do you know these these BC law and, and, and our rights and what are they. So yeah, if you want to tell us what you did when you got back, because I don't think our listeners plus us, we don't even know what we would do in that circumstance, what the first steps are and, and, and what our rights actually are. So Yeah. Okay, so, so, so there's a lot there to respond to. Um, uh-huh. one, one thing I, I could say about the, the, the calling the police, um, and I, you know, I, I certainly don't fault the the clerk for calling the police. Right. Um, I, I I think people you know need to be able to, and you know, but I might encourage people who find themselves in this situation because I, I have heard of um, situations uh, involving other people where you know they they were the one to make the call, um, right. and and they mm-hmm. they called the police, informing the police of of the human rights violation that was occurring, to more or less get you know them there and involved. And because then, you know, you have a credible witness, at, you know, there, there's the police and they're there and because their job is to enforce the law, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of unfortunate that they respond kind of more to the person making the call than, you know, the situation at hand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that was as much as admitted to me by the arresting officer who said, you know, they, they get there only seeing half the story. So, um, you know, it, it may be a bit of an unfortunate reality of, the situation at hand, but maybe for the time being, you know, being the first one to make that call um, might kind of influence how the the situation can unfold. Um, Now, I am hoping to, you know, influence some of the police training through uh, my my actions that I took when I got home. And so, yeah, I'll I'll launch into that. I, um, I filed a complaint with the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and I listed all the uh, respondents that I could think of: the um, the RCMP, the two officers, um, the parent company Shell, um, the numbered company, um, the employee, and his boss. Basically, because it was the boss who had given the employee the, the instructions oh. to very firmly right. disallow dogs, and. Um, you know, I, I learned a little bit through this process. Um, the uh, RCMP is under the jurisdiction of the Canadian Human Rights Commission, CRHC, and uh, the you know, provincial BC Human Rights Tribunal does not have the authority to um, act uh, in situations where the RCMP is the named respondent. Mm. So the matters has sort of been into kind of two separate proceedings, if you will, and the one is in front of, or going through the process of the CRHC, and then the um, matter with the shell is uh, under the jurisdiction of the BC Human Rights Tribunal, and so that, that matter is going forward under their jurisdiction. Right. 
And, you know, what I'm really hoping to get out of these, you know, separate um, incidents or cases, you know, um, is, you know, better training for all of the people involved. Because, Brian, like you said, you know, the decision to call the police, you know, you know, that should be maybe made a little more cautiously. Like, I, I would certainly say if anybody ever feels the need to, that, you know, the police are there, by all means, you use that service. But I think, you know, if there was more understanding about the laws that was given to the employee and indeed all the employees of Shell, that, you know, this kind of misunderstanding wouldn't escalate that, you know, they would understand the, the rights of guide dog users. Right. And that, and that applies to a lot of disability related issues where employ employers and employees aren't aware of, of these, these rights because they're not talked about all the time. And there's only a like, small percentage of people who are hired with disabilities and they just aren't recognized. Um, so it's, it's, it's the education in, in, from the, from the get go, that is an important part. Um, how would that tie in? Um, like the, the, employer calling the the cop or the employee calling the cop instead of um you calling the cops like was that was that something that ever you thought of that you could have called as instead or would have i mean i'm assuming he already initiated the fact that he was going to call so um. yeah yeah, i mean it 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 is kind of one of those hindsight sort of situations like you never know how that kind of a call is going to go um I, you know, sort of at the time was thinking, you know, okay, well, when the police show up, we'll, you know, get to the bottom of enforcing the law in this situation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you um, didn't think you didn't think of the fact that any of the other stuff was going to happen, so you figured, oh, he's calling the cops, but no, no matter who calls them, they're coming anyway, and they know they'll enforce this law, and it should be everything will be fine. Yeah, 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 and and like I said, it's kind of one of those things where you know I, I sort of you know, see now after the fact and, and through having called, you know, having talked to other people who have been involved in similar situations or, you know, like situations where people themselves were the ones to call the cops and, you know, the cops are then, they're like kind of more on the side of the person who called them. So I, I think that is sort of the, the reality of the situation um, as it is. Um, and, you know, I think through my, you know, discussions with the RCMP, you know, not only am I going to be wanting to, you know, improve their awareness of, like, you know, human rights legislation, uh, guide dog identification, um, like, I think it's kind of a little appalling that they didn't realize or recognize that there was a dog, that there was a guide dog in the store, like, instantaneously, like, um, the comment that was made by the spokesperson just doesn't... um, to me, signify a high level of, you know, uh, training in that area on behalf of the officers. Right, and that's what the, that's what the complaint stemmed from in the first place from the from the store clerk calling the police was because of the dog. Yeah, yeah. So, so I want to, you know, um, basically, you know, have more, you know guide dog awareness, identification training, understanding, um, you know, human rights law in general for the RCMP, but, um, you know, I think what will happen is uh, through negotiations with Shell, I'm I'm hoping to um, work with them to develop, like, basically what will become a nationwide um, training um, it might be a pamphlet, it might be a page or two in a book of training material that's otherwise handed to employees. Like, I I don't 
currently know a lot about the um, the training that goes in, like Shell employee, you know, what, what they're currently receiving in, in that area. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly, you know, understand that whatever, you know, we develop will have to, you know, fit with within a program that is already, you know, established. But, you know, that is my hope is to work with them to, you know, improve the education and understanding of all their employees, um, specifically in relation to a guide dog and, you know, the rights and, um, you know, um, the thing about the legislation is that there is a different, you know, code in, in every province. Hmm. But, you know, suffice to say, every province does have a human rights code. And, you know, the phrasing is a little bit different here and there, but all of them guarantee to everyone with a disability the right to access services that are made available to the public. Hmm. So anywhere in Canada you are, there's going to be legislation that protects your right as a guide dog user to enter an establishment and, you know, like purchase a cup of coffee, which mm-hmm. is all we were trying to do. Right. Because we want to talk about this uh, f- for everybody involved. We don't want to get to a point where people, I've seen a few comments here and there where people, blind people are starting to be afraid to get a guide dog because they're like, oh, I don't think it's worth it. What, you know, th- you know this happens to so many people. We see it on the news. And so um, there's a lot of reasons why it's important that this is going forward. What kind of... Um, so you said that was last summer, where... 2019. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, to, to give you kind of the status of how the files are progressing, um, the uh, complaint was received by the Canada Human Rights Commission, CRHC, and they have their own process where they need to determine whether or not the there is another appropriate venue for hearing the complaint. And there is another, you know, sort of institution that's known as the um, Civilian Complaints and Review Board. Mm -hmm. And this is for situations where somebody in in Canada um, has a complaint or, or some issue with, you know, police proceedings. In, in, in a matter. Um, and the CRAC has asked for my position as to whether or not I feel it's an appropriate venue. And um, my response is basically, I, I don't feel that it is an appropriate venue because um, the review board is not able to have any like binding power over the RCMP or to make any rulings that would like um, require uh, the officers to receive any additional training. And, you know, because of the review board's inability to issue the remedies that I'm seeking, I feel that it would be more expedient to go just directly to the CRHC and have the matter heard there where we can actually start looking at the training of the officers involved. Okay. Right, you want you want stuff to be happening from from higher up instead of just this other organization that you you spoke about that, you know, wouldn't actually be able to make any of these enforce any of these um, changes or Well, well yeah, the review board itself is an internal process. 
um, you know, like other, you know, officers not involved with the case would be investigating it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, there are, you know, benefits to the review board. It's, mm. you know, not a completely useless right, process. Right. But I just don't think it's appropriate for this particular situation. Right. Um, and then uh, the matter with Shell um, that is uh, proceeding under the BC Human Rights Tribunal uh, was sort of scheduled, put down for a mediation. Um, it was put down for a mediation uh, just on February 11th, so mm-hmm. last Tuesday. And uh, unfortunately, um, through sort of an oversight in, in planning on, on behalf of the tribunal, um, the, the parent company was actually not, not present at the mediation. And so it, it was just the... Um, the local um, franchise owner. Okay. Right. Um, and so because, of course, he, there's no ability there to, again, deal with the remedies that I'm, I'm seeking for, mm-hmm. we had to, you know, sort of conclude the mediations fairly preemptively and just, you know, agree to come back later when the parent company is at the negotiations table and I can talk to them about implementing the kind of changes that, you know, I honestly think will be really good for them as a corporation to make. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is kind of the direction that a lot of companies are going, you know, because, um, you know, human rights is, you know, becoming a real, um, you know, a really important part of the legislative framework in, like, North America. So Canada and the States have actually, in some ways, they have more robust legislation um, when you look at, you know, their enforcement of online um, accessibility mm-hmm. um, for um, basically blind people using screen readers, which is kind of the aspects that I know the most about. And and their accessibility legislation is actually um, superior to Canada's in terms of, like, the, the enforcement the enforceability of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that aside, I mean, I'm just trying to get to the point that, you know, companies are going to realize the benefits of being accessible, of, of being knowledgeable of uh, human rights legislation, and of, you know, providing that education and training to their employees. Um, it's part of being a responsible corporate citizen, and that's becoming more important in, I think, today's climate and economy. So I think it's a change that Shell will be rather quite willing to embrace and will benefit their company as a whole. You know, it's in their interest to be, you know, um, pro-human rights and to have that reputation. So for them to, you know, implement these kinds of changes now, like uh, proactively, instead of just waiting for more incidents to happen, mm-hmm. I think will serve them. And I, I'm hoping that they'll realize that. Because, yeah, I mean, all of these things, basically, we're at this point where we can fight it when these incidents happen and, you know, put up a stink and be mad and, you know, be... But at the same time, we're, we're trying to get them to see that it does benefit everybody. Yeah, we're not just trying to do these things. And it's it's like that with all of this stuff that we're getting involved with, um, Carrie and I, and, ev- and everyone else who's involved with the, the Canadian Federation of the Blind and advocacy in general for any advocacy is... We're not doing this just for our own our own selves. We're doing this for for the greater good and for the for the public and everyone, right? We're doing so. it for kicks. <laughs> exactly. So, 
but it, yeah, but it, like I said, it's important to have people um, like yourself who are a little more knowledgeable about these sort of things and work with that anyway. And I, you know, I assume you wouldn't ask for this, but I assume it's helped you. Like you said, it's even been a bit of a a lesson, though you've finished law school, but it's still a good lesson to to take with you, I guess. Would you say or? Uh, well, yeah, I mean. You're, you're, you're always learning. Um, I yeah. mean, it doesn't really matter what profession you're in, but uh, in the legal profession, there's, there's always, you know, changes to the laws and you mm-hmm. have to, you know, stay on top of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has been a, a learning experience and, you know, it's um, something that it's important to, you know, have this legislation in place so that there is a recourse because, you know, um, with, with without the legislation, you know, obviously there's there's you know there's no breaking of a law without a law there to break, right? So mm-hmm. you know we need the legislation to you know grant you know people with disabilities and you know a whole bunch of other minorities the right to not be discriminated against, and then once those laws are in place, you know that's when we have the possibility for somebody to then, you know, infringe the law. And then that's when the repercussions come in. And so it is important to uphold our rights by making the stands that we make so that, you know, people, businesses, store owners, they realize that these aren't just hollow rights without any remedy, right? Because, you know, a right without a remedy isn't really a right at all because, you know, if your rights can be just infringed with no consequence, there's not going to be any end to the infringing of those rights. Yeah. So to make these, circle. you know, stands where they're needed to be made is what's essential to change attitudes and opinions. I mean, if this incident results in the entire parent company of Shell making sure that every gas station across Canada or, you know, every Shell station across Canada, you know, is um, staffed by employees that understand this legislation. That's going to be a big step towards changing, you know, attitudes and opinions. And that's going to have the real effect of, you know, ensuring that people's rights are actually being upheld. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I'm, you know, considering this as like, you know, part of a transition to a more egalitarian society. Like, you know, human rights legislation didn't always exist. There was a time before then when, you know, it didn't really matter if you were, you know, being discriminated against. There wasn't a law around to protect you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I can actually sort of talk about that sort of situation in relation to, um, like, another human rights case that I'm working on here in Ontario. Um, And that has to do with a challenge to the uh, Human Rights Code, um, well, or rather a specific section of it. Uh, It's Section 21, um, Sub 1, of the Human Rights Code. And it, it basically says that a person's you know, right to be free from discrimination is not infringed if the landlord shares a kitchen or a bathroom. Mm -hmm. 
And so to translate that, it, it means that if, if a landlord's renting out a room in their own, you know, home, you know, that's where they live, you know, that's their kitchen, that's their bathroom, and then the person is renting the room is sharing those facilities, that, um, that they're allowed to be as prejudiced as they want. You know, they can say they don't want to rent to somebody with a disability because that person has a disability, and because the law is, you know, like there's a law that gives people the protection uh, to be free from discrimination when renting residential accommodations, but this Section 21 takes that right away yeah, from people the, yeah. in, in the situation where the landlord shares the kitchen and bathroom. So, so this is a situation where you suddenly find yourself without the protection of the law. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I'm trying to change that part of the legislation so that that, you know, protection from discrimination will be offered to people who are renting rooms in any situation, you know. Um, and especially you have to look at it, um, you know, from the perspective of the sort of current housing crisis that's facing, you know, Toronto and really much of Canada, mm-hmm. um, where the only really affordable accommodations many people can't, can't afford are, you know, shared shared accommodations, a, a room in an apartment with somebody else who is sharing that kitchen or bathroom. Yeah, that's a good so that's, point that a lot of times these people don't necessarily, a lot of people in our situations don't always have money. I mean, anyone deals with that, but having low funds, you do need these places where you're, you're sharing areas and then we're dealing with this discrimination based on that, on those yeah. places. So, yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say, you know, that uh, a high number of people with disabilities are, are, you know, relying on, um, ODSP for an income because that's, that's yeah, for what sure. Carrie, Carrie and I both are at the moment. So yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's not unusual, and and so you know, part of the case relies on social science data. You know, experts that can you know show that correlation and how this particular form of housing is more needed because of the you know economic situation involved. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's a lot of factors and points to consider, uh, especially when making a constitutional challenge, um, because you know the case that we're laying down has the potential to change the law and it's really important for us to do a very very good job on this because um you know a mistake on our behalf can result in the law becoming more difficult to change for other people later right so i i've got some uh you know colleagues friends of mine from you know osgood you know uh, students who are a couple years ahead of me in terms of you know their education and legal career and so we're working on this case together oh good yeah that's 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 great and um it's really nice to see you proactive with this and not letting it go and making sure that something does change because this this stuff needs to needs to yeah. needs to stop people need to be more educated and this has to be uh, prevented so um yeah i guess down down to our last couple minutes here um not sure what else, if there's anything. Yeah, well, I, just, I mean, and that's why we, we owe people like you. I mean, everybody doing their part. We're trying our, to do our parts also with the shows, partially why we're doing the show. For well, that's about right. spreading the education and the awareness, mm-hmm. which is really important. I'm hoping, you know, people who are tuning in get something from this. So, I mean, I can kind of sum up a little quickly by saying, you know, it's important first to have that legislation in place. Yep. So, you know, that's, you know, step one is making sure that that's there. 
And then once that legislation is in place, then, you know, it's up to, you know, sort of the ground troops to make sure that that's getting enforced. Right. And, and through those kinds of activities, that's how we will, you know, create the sort of Canada that we want to see where, you know, these rights are, you know, not just enshrined in our constitution and our legislation, but actually being upheld in a, in a day-to-day yeah, they're not just a bunch of words on a page. They're actually being um, enforced properly, and and uh, well, because what you <clears throat> what you often hear is that the um, AODA, or you know, now with the new uh, Accessible Canada Act, you hear about these things, and you think, okay, we're we're okay, but then, like you said, you find out that the laws are there, but they're not being enforced, or something. You know, it's going going all wrong, and it's sort of taking us backward a little. Instead, you know, one two steps backward instead of a head. So. Well, th- this was certainly an unfortunate incident, mm-hmm. but I, I see it as an opportunity to, you know, really, you know, make some important progress in this and, you know, hopefully, you know, prevent this from happening to other people in the future. And, and you know, that'll only sort of happen through education and awareness. Yeah, and um, I mean, I know a lot of people on the CFB email list have had guide dogs or currently have them and are going through their own struggles with, with you know, an issue um, that's happened to them. So a lot of us are cheering for you there on the list and appreciate what you're doing. And, um, you know, thanks for coming on today and talking about this. And I, I would have liked to talk longer. Like I said, there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, yeah. Would you come back sometime in the future and... Oh, uh, certainly, by all means. And I would also yes. like to thank the uh, other uh, members of the, the CFB list that I, I have gained some, um, you know, knowledge and support from. Um, you know, other people with their experience has certainly, you know, um, helped me in, in dealing with this, you know, particular experience of my own. So I have gained some some help and benefit through the CFB on, on dealing with this. Yeah, so I just wanted awesome. That's, that's that's um, great to hear because that that is a big part of it with this with the CFB is all of us working together and all of us having previous knowledge and skills and situations that we've all dealt with or se- segments of us have dealt with that we can we can share our our experiences and help help everyone else so um, I don't know is there any is there anywhere online or anything that you'd like like to mention or plug that people can follow up on this or I guess we can just have you on we'll have you on in the future to to follow up on this as well. Um, I don't know if you feel like mentioning anything like that, or um, or if you want to just just well, wrap it up. Uh, I is mean, that Carrie mentioned the AODA? So anybody in Ontario who's interested in that, they could always look at the um, AODA Alliance, which is kind of chaired by um, David Lepofsky. He's a wonderful advocate himself. Um, mm-hmm. We could have a whole episode just on him. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, and I mean, other than that, you know, you know, there's always the human rights legislation for your province. So anybody, you know, in any province can just look up the, you know, just type in human rights code mm-hmm. and the name of your province. And, you know, Google will probably have it up at the very top of that list. So um, that's going to be, you know, the black letter law. And, you know, it doesn't get more, you know, straightforward than that, you know, as far as like what's, what's actually, you know, the legislation. Um, but of course, you know, it can be a little difficult to read at times. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's lots of sources where people can get secondary sources, but, um, I know I just say Google could be your best friend there really, but I don't think we need to plug Google. They get enough plugs <laughs> yeah, already. I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> but both blind and sighted, um, people, yeah, if you don't know about it, try and learn a little bit about it and it can help. <clears throat> you can stick up for somebody else. You never know what situation you might sort of happen to just walk into that you could be, um, a support for 
um, if you understand it, which we could all use a little of. Um, but yeah, so I hope we'll have you um, back in the future and uh, hopefully um, not have a phone issue that time, which happens. Um, yeah, and maybe after, um, you know, I, I have uh, a meeting. Yes. The mediation has been scheduled now for March 24th. So. Okay. Okay, so maybe perhaps in April or, or May. You um, let us know how things are progressing yeah, well, and we can have you back at a, at a good time maybe, but um, we really appreciate well, thanks it. For, thanks for having me. Great. Well, um, enjoy your family day, uh, the rest of it, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Okay. Yeah. yeah, take care. Thanks so much. And thanks, for everybody, for tuning in on Family Day and Reading Week. All right. We'll be back next week. Yeah. See you then. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.